Hello and welcome to edition number 1974 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 17th of August. I'm Nigel James and I edited this edition. And besides me at the recording controls, we have Graham Diacon. This week we have items from Whitney, Chipping Norton, Ascot, uh, Burford, Borton on the Water, and Ensham, and many more. And our four readers this evening are Debbie Diacon, Antra Law, Henry Spielberg, and Adam Lethbridge. And so if we go to our first item, which is about a teen who was found dead at home, and that's going to be read by Debbie. Yes, that's right. The headline is Shock and Sadness After Teen Found Dead at Home. Neighbours expressed both shock and sincere condolences after the tragic death of a teenager in Whitney Town Centre. Police are investigating the unexplained death of a boy who has not been named who was found dead at home. Emergency services raced to an address in Whitney High Street at about 6.30am on Thursday. Onlookers were left wondering why there was such a large presence of blue light services and a coroner. When the emergency services arrived at the property, they found the body of the teenage boy. A member of staff at a nearby shop who did not want to be named said there were three ambulances and six police officers. Since then, police have been at the door of the pottery place for four days, day and night. Another shop worker who works nearby said, It's incredibly sad. We saw what was happening, but we felt it right to keep out of the way. A witness told the Whitney Gazette there was a large police presence and police asked us to stay away while the incident was ongoing, so we did. Many shared their feelings of sadness for the family online, with some in shock at the absolutely heartbreaking news. One commented on the Whitney Gazette Facebook page, How terribly sad. Too many young people dying before their time. Thoughts are with his family. Another said, Oh my, this is awful. Thoughts are with family and friends. Councillor Andrew Coles, Oxfordshire County and West Oxfordshire District Councillor for Whitney Central, said, I was shocked and saddened to hear of this dreadful incident. My heart goes out to all the family and friends who are suffering in in the most unimaginable way. He added, I'm grateful for the skill and professionalism of all the emergency services involved and to everyone in the community for their patience and understanding as the authorities go about their investigations. Whitney is still a very close community and incidents like this affect and impact on us all. Police are now investigating the boy's death, which is not being treated as suspicious. Thames Valley Police said in a statement, Officers were called to a residence in High Street, Whitney, at around 6.30am on Thursday, August 10th. Sadly, a teenage boy was found deceased. His next of kin have been informed, and our thoughts are with them. The boy's death is being treated as unexplained and at this stage there are not believed to be any suspicious circumstances and a file will be prepared for the coroner. Our next story is about stolen quad bikes and is going to be read by Henry. Yes, that's right, about uh, unfortunate crime in the west of the county. It's headlined, Quad Bikes Stolen in Armed Robbery. 
Thousands of pounds worth of goods were stolen in an armed robbery on a country road in West Oxfordshire. A green Yamaha Grizzly 700 quad bike, a green Suzuki King quad bike with black wheels, a green Yamaha Kodiak quad bike with black wheels, a Logic fertiliser sprayer, a Logic seed sprayer and a Logic mower were taken by four men on a road near Chipping Norton. The incident occurred on an unnamed road that links the A436 to Cornwell on Saturday, August 5th at around 8.25am. Police only released details of the crime at the end of last week. The victim was driving a green Land Rover Freelander with a trailer attached that was also stolen. A spokesman for Thames Valley Police said, The path of the Freelander has been blocked by a black BMW. Four males have surrounded the vehicle, some of whom were carrying weapons. A silver VW Touareg has then pulled up and the trailer has been detached from the victim's car, hooked up to the VW and taken. Three of the offenders were dressed in black. The fourth is described as being bald, with a pot belly, wearing a red T-shirt with a two-pack wrap logo on it. Investigating officer Detective Constable Mark Lohman said, This was a concerning incident for the victim, but thankfully they were not injured. The equipment taken was worth thousands of pounds. Anyone with information should call 101. And now with a not terribly pleasant uh, item about sewage, we have Anne, who's going to read it for us. This article is headed, Sewage Campaigners Join Fight Against Homes Plan. Campaigners argue plans for 40 new homes in the village will simply put more sewage into an illegally operating works. Obsidian Strategic Asset Management has applied to West Oxfordshire District Council for outline planning permission for up to 40 homes, including 50% affordable housing on the outskirts of Ascot and Witchwood. Campaigners Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, WASP, said the Milton Under Witchwood Sewage Treatment Works which it will be hooked up to, has no ability to deal legally with the increased sewage it would generate. It said data collated by WASP clearly indicates that Milton under Witchwood Sewage Treatment Works is operating outside of its statutory permit, i.e. illegally. Thames Water said an upgrade to the works is likely to be in 2025. But WASP said there is no guarantee that this timescale will be met. Indeed, many of Thames Water's projects have, and regularly continue to, significantly overrun it said. It argued that as the Milton Sewage Network has very significant groundwater infiltration, issues resulting in long-term spilling of untreated sewerage into the Little Stock Brook, and the river even load. No new development should be allowed at all. In its submission to WASP stated, Thames Water states that it is currently investigating the efficacy of various measures to control groundwater infiltration, including lining of pipes. However, no firm date has been provided for completion of these works. Other than that, 
they are expected to be completed by 2030. In essence, this means that Milton under Witchwood Sewage Treatment Works is in breach of its statutory permit issued by, by the application. The application has attracted over 200 objections on the West Oxfordshire District Council planning portal. Friends of West Oxfordshire Cotswolds said it was in breach of national and local policy, the Environment Agency. It said it is believed that Milton under Witchwood Sewage Treatment Works is included in an Environment Agency investigation into unpermitted discharge. Ascot under Witchwood Parish Council said around 100 villagers attended a public meeting in July with the 20 who spoke all opposed to the development. Specifically, nobody suggested that the inclusion of 20 affordable homes in the proposals made the development desirable or welcome, it said. It added that there was an anomalous concern that it would create an oversupply of houses that would be bought as second homes, increasing the affordability of the area and there are very few services in the village. A Thames water spokesman told the Whitney Gazette the Milton under Witchwood Sewage Treatment Works is being upgraded to accommodate this and other development in the catchment and the upgrade works are due to be completed by April 2025. The Environment Agency did not respond to a request for comment. A local resident, Elsie, criticised the water regulators for failing to take action over Thames Water's inaccurate response to housing plans yet again. The former frontman of the Undertones reacted to plans for 40 homes in Ascot under Witchwood, which campaigners say will see sewage channelled into an illegally operating plant. Development should not be occupied until sewage treatment works have been upgraded or a phase plan agreed. Mr Sharkey wrote, no doubt DEFRA, of what and the Environment Agency will have a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why campaigners are having to step in and do their job. Under pressure from Windrush against sewage pollution, Thames Water accepted. And now for those of you suffering withdrawal symptoms, yes, we have a story about Jeremy Clarkson and Diddley Squat Farm, and this will be read by Adam. Yes, well, here we go. I'm sure you've been dying to hear this. So this one is entitled, Diddley Squat Farm Car Park is, quote, the lesser of two evils. And the article is as follows. The decision to grant approval for the extension of Jeremy Clarkson's Diddley Squat Farm Shop has been described as the lesser of two evils. When Jeremy Clarkson and Lisa Hogan opened Diddley Squat Squat Farm Shop in 2020, 
they saw an immediate insurgence of visitors from all across the world who were keen to try the no-nonsense local produce seen in their favourite Amazon Prime TV series, Clarkson's Farm. But as the number of visitors quickly stacked up, so did their cars. Queues to wander around the shop can be up to two and a half hours long. Despite this, West Oxfordshire District Council initially refused to grant Mr Clarkson permission to extend the car park based on concerns for the impact on the local community of Chadlington. The decision in June to allow the extension has caused a mixed reaction among the village's residents. Dean Temple, District Councillor for Chadlington and Churchill, said, People move to the area because it is beautiful, so if you build something, it's got to look good. The car park was a good idea, and it definitely came with the best intentions. It's more that his best intentions haven't exactly gone according to plan. It's not ideal, but it's the lesser of two evils, and I'm hoping it will relieve stress. The lack of parking space had previously meant that visitors were parking on the side of the narrow country road out of Chadlington, creating blockages that had made it more difficult to locals to travel to work, school or the doctors. But as an area of outstanding natural beauty, locals also worry that building a car park would be a potential disruption of the Cotswolds' famous landscape views. According to council members, Mr Clarkson had no intention of causing disturbance when developing his business and he recognised how essential the Cotswolds' natural beauty is for attracting visitors. He claimed that this was all the more reason to allow the extension, as the completion of the car park would be less disruptive than having cars on the road outside. One of Mr Clarkson's initial proposals to minimise the car park's impact on nature included the use of gravel, although it is uncertain whether or not this was approved. Meanwhile, multiple local businesses refused to comment on the extension when contacted by the Oxford Mail. Many said that Mr Clarkson had nothing to do with them and appeared to want to shy away from the topic. And on related Jeremy Clarkson news, um, we have another little uh, addendum here. Shoplifters have made off with £80 worth of goods from Jeremy Clarkson's diddly squat farm shop. Two men arrived in the same vehicle and entered the shopping Chipping Norton Road, Chadlington at around 4.15 on Tuesday of last week. One went to the till and bought £69 worth of goods, while the other stole two bottles of alcohol and another unknown item worth around £80. Both men then left the shop, got back in the vehicle and drove off in the direction of Burford. Mr Clarkson posted CCTV footage of the theft to his 6.7 million followers on Instagram, with the footage appearing to show a man putting an item into his pocket. The Clarkson's Farm star, 63, captioned the post, This man came, quote, shopping at the farm shop. I would like to meet him. Thames Valley Police confirmed that officers were investigating the incident and urged anyone with information to get in touch. This evening we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Charles Harris, who's going to do our reflection for us this evening. Welcome, Charles. Welcome. It's good to be able to come and speak again at the Talking Newspaper. I always enjoy uh, being part of what you do. I have rather a strange interest in food. Now, if you were to see me, you'd realise why, because there's quite a lot of me. But one of the things I really like is fruit. 
And I was out in the shops the other day buying some more fruit to uh, keep me going. And I suddenly thought to myself, I think I will tell you about something to do with fruit. So I hope that that's okay. It really reminded me of something that happened to me now quite some years ago, but it's still a very memorable experience. I used to work for a Christian organisation that did all sorts of charitable work. And on one occasion, we were invited by the chaplain of the young uh, sort of guy's sort of place that they did, uh, Army Army Apprentice Training College, I think they called it, which is in Chepstow, just across the Severn Bridge. You go over and then you arrive at this Army Training Base. Well, three of us were invited to go there to conduct effectively a devotional uh, few days. It was about ten days. It was a bit daunting uh, to go there. I was allocated to go to a particular barracks, and as soon as I arrived, I realised that the lads there thought this was very odd, and I thought it was even odder when I looked around and it was so bare. Because as we proceeded around the camp on other occasions, we found in many of the barrack rooms, there were pictures of naked ladies up around the other rooms, unlike in this one. They'd obviously all been told to sanitise it, ready for the minister's coming. But we got on well with the lads. And then one particular uh, afternoon, one of the lads called Roger, he approached me, and they all looked the same when they were all wandering around with short hair in their uniforms. And he said, I really would like to talk to somebody. Can I make an appointment? So I said, OK. So I arranged to see Roger the next day in the chaplain's office. And he duly arrived, and we sat and had a conversation. Roger began in a very strange way. He said, I'm getting frightened. He said, I'm beginning to get into arguments and fights. I'm getting too much like my dad. I don't like it. Well, I asked him a bit more about his dad, and discovered his dad was a bit of a rogue, really. And Roger was saying that he was feeling he was getting a bit like this. His dad used to beat his mum up, which didn't sound a good idea to me, and Roger was feeling that he could easily do similar things. So we sat and we talked, and I said, well, why why do you want to talk to me? He said, well, you've all been talking about God changing people's lives. I I want to know what you mean. So I sat down and I said to him, well, because God can take what you are and he can make you different. Then I had this very weird idea came into my head. Now, It's a very odd thing, but being a Christian for a number of years, I've discovered this sort of thing has happened before. It's all rather weird, really. But suddenly I had this idea, and I said to Roger, Roger, there's this little table in front of us. If I ask you to make a piece of fruit, like a banana or an apple or a pear, appear on that table, could you do it? And he said, oh, no. And he looked at me as though he thought perhaps I was about to, and I said, no, Roger. And so basically we uh, carried on our conversation, and I said to Roger... Uh, Look, I can't make a piece of fruit come on there, neither can you. But how about if I tell you what I'm actually trying to explain? There's a little bit of a tinkling noise in the background, which may or may not appear in the final edition, but there we are. Uh, Basically, what I said to Roger was that you can't just make fruit appear like that. So I then read him a little bit of passage from the Bible. I said, would you rather be like the first list I'm going to read you, or like the second I'm going to read this little passage. It's a bit horrible passage, really, in some ways. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. There's a whole list of other things. I won't go on. And then I read the other list. I said, well, there's another list saying, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
I said, which of those two would you rather be? And he said, well, the second. I said, well, it grows like a seed. So how would you make, you know, an apple tree grow? Well, from a pip or from a seed. I said, the same thing happens. You're not going to suddenly instantly change, but God will plant a seed in your heart and help you to change if you surrender yourself to him. Well, much to my surprise, and slight embarrassment, really, I suddenly found Roger got on his knees on the floor, which I hadn't asked him to do, and he was on the knees to say a prayer. So I thought, well, I suppose I'd better get on my knees to say a prayer too. So I got down beside him and we prayed that he might ask God into his life and that he might make a sort of change to him and he'd plant a seed in his heart, in his life, to change him. Well, that was it. Then Roger went off and I thought, oh, well, don't know what happened there. And then next Sunday we were there and we had the chapel service and Roger came and he got his little New Testament, Gideon New Testament in his pocket, which he'd been given wandering around. So I've become a Christian. I've become a Christian. And I first thought I was, Roger, keep quiet. All these other lads will pulverize you to death. But no, he was, I've become a Christian. And as far as I'm aware, that change that took place in Roger was a life-changing change. So fruit is important, isn't it? You know, yeah, and God can do all sorts of amazing things in people's lives. So when you're eating a piece of fruit, just think, well, yeah, perhaps God could do something in my life too, and call out and ask Him. Thank you very much, Charles. That certainly gave us food for thought, and we look forward to your next visit to us. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. This article is headlined: Thug pulled a knife after claims his jacket was fake. A teenager pulled out a knife on a drunken night out after someone claimed his Montclair designer jacket was a fake. Tyler Lees, who, as a 15-year-old, was convicted of carrying a knife in similar circumstances, was told by a judge that the time had come for him to grow up. Recorder Samantha Presland told Lees, 19, You have to start acting like a man. Be assertive. Being sure of yourself, letting stupidity wash over you, that is acting like a man. Do you understand? Sparing him an immediate jail sentence, she told him that this was his chance to, quote, grow into a man who is a useful member of society. She imposed 18 months imprisonment, suspended for 20 months, with 200 hours of unpaid work and an alcohol abstinence requirement. Lees had been out in Whitney Town Centre last June when he took umbrage at a comment about his allegedly fake Montclair designer jacket. The insult led to a fight, during which his opponent was left with serious injuries to his back. He went on to pull a knife on the man, although it was not used. In a victim personal statement, the man who came off worse said that he had lost work as a result of his injuries, and complained that his career was, quote-unquote, over. I think it will affect me for the rest of my life, he said. The judge told Lees's defence barrister, I'm sure he, the defendant, is an absolutely charming, lovely boy until he's had some alcohol. Clearly there are anger issues, and there is quite a lot of a sense of entitlement from the pre-sentence report. Mitigating, Jonathan Cood described his client as immature and accepted that the pre-sentence report from the probation service, quote, does not do him any favours. Mr. Cood said, he is understandably very fearful of what is happening in court today.
Lees of Windrush Valley Road, Whitney, pleaded guilty at the magistrate's court to causing actual bodily harm and possession of a bladed vehicle in a public place. He had a previous conviction for possession of a knife when he was 15 years old. Following a fight in town, he had gone home to retrieve a knife, although it was not used to injure. Summarising, Prosecutor Matthew Knight said, he is a young man with this pattern of inappropriate behaviour. And I've got two short stories here. The first one is titled, Police Alert Over Fake Injury Hitchhike Scam. Police are warning of a, quote, very crude potential scam where an individual or a couple pretend to be lost and injured, then ask for a lift. Thames Valley Police, West Oxfordshire, said a couple were approached by a man in Widford, near Burford, on Friday, who said he had a bad leg and asked if he could hitch a ride into town. Police said the couple refused to give the man, who was believed to be, quote, foreign, a lift. He then walked off in a bad mood with no limp or any apparent health issues. Police believe that once in a car, the passenger is likely to produce a means of threatening the driver in order to take them to a cash machine and force a withdrawal. And the second story is headed £220,000 aid for refugees. West Oxfordshire District Council will be able to provide more support to Ukrainian individuals, families and other refugee groups to help them find permanent homes. It has been allocated £220,541 by the government. Jeff Saul, Executive Member for Housing and Social Welfare, said homelessness in West Oxfordshire has been on the increase since the pandemic and cost of living crisis. He said... We understand that these are especially challenging times for everyone. This is especially true for our refugee guests, who often arrive with very little. This article is headed, Shop Worker Assaulted After Chasing Thief. A shop worker has been allegedly assaulted by two men after chasing down a woman who left the shop without paying. Thames Valley Police is appealing for witnesses and CCTV footage following the assault, which took place at around 7.45pm on Sunday, August the 6th in Corn Street in Whitney. A Thames Valley Police spokesman said, a woman has failed to pay for her shopping and exited the shop towards Market Square. The shop worker followed her, asking for payment, but was then approached by two men who have assaulted him. The victim fell to the ground during the attack and sustained a laceration to his lip. Thames Valley Police is calling on the public for help in connection to this. Investigating officer PC Thomas Horseman, based at Whitney Police Station, said, We would like to appeal to anyone who may have witnessed this incident to please get in touch. We would also like to appeal to those residents in the surrounding areas to check CCTV and door cam footage. You can upload footage via the link on the Thames Valley Police website. Those with relevant information for Thames Valley Police can either make a report online or call 101. 
Our next article is entitled Support for Homeless Unemployed Young People. West Oxfordshire District Council will continue to support a project to help combat homelessness among young people for another year. The Our House project provides shared accommodation and help to find work for single under-35s. It offers them their own room in a locally shared house for a low rent and the opportunity to enrol in training and apprenticeships. Housemates are also given a decorating pack, so if they would like to take on any DIY in the home, they have tools and a skilled tutor to guide them. Our House launched in 2018 and is run by Cotsway, is run by Cotsway Housing in partnership with West Oxford District Council and specialist support provider Aspire. It is funded by the government's Community Housing Fund. The current funding arrangements were set to expire in October 2023, but the Council will support the initiative until November 2024. Jeff Saul, Executive Member for Housing and Social Welfare, said, Getting these young people into safe accommodation where they can start their lives is our absolute priority, as well as assisting them on the road to employment. Our goal is to help individuals overcome these challenges by providing a supportive environment where they can start to build a brighter future, which is crucial for those who may not have a support network of their own. And now is quiz time. And first, the answers to last week's questions, which were sent by Alan. Question one. On the 21st of August 1911, what was stolen by Vincenzo Perugia, who had hidden himself in the gallery's broom cupboard? And the answer is the Mona Lisa, uh, which was taken from the Louvre. Question two. Which astrological star sign covers July the 23rd to August the 22nd? The answer is Leo. That's right. Question three. Which well-known term is used for a day in August which signals the start of the grouse shooting season? The Glorious Twelve. That's right. Question four. August is the tenth solo studio album by which musician? That stumped you all. Eric Clapton. And question five. What made news headlines on August the 8th, 1963? And the answer is the the Great Train Robbery. Now, following on that theme, our questions this week also relate to August, but slightly earlier than the previous questions. So have a think on these. Question one. On the 1st of August, 1740, composed by Thomas Arne, what was sung for the first time in public? Question two. On the 1st of August, 1819, the author of Moby Dick was born. Who was he? Question three. On the 4th of August, 1901, jazz trumpeter player Louis Armstrong was born in New Orleans. What was his nickname? Question four. Born on the 15th of August, 1888, Thomas Edward Lawrence was born. Now, what name was he better known by? Question five. On the 31st of August, 1900, what went on sale for the first time in Britain? And the answer to those questions 
will be given to you next week. And now we move on to two further short stories, which are going to be read by Debbie. Uh, And the first short story uh, headline is Driver, quote, I didn't know I needed insurance. A Nissan Micra driver who was stopped in the county told police officers, I didn't know I needed insurance before their car was seized. The motorist, who had a P sign to indicate they were a probationary driver, was reported to court by Thames Valley Police's Rural Crime Task Force. In a separate incident, the task force stopped, searched a vehicle and occupant in Carterton and arrested a male for possession of two lock knives. He was taken to custody. In Bledington, near Chipping Norton, an Audi was seized and the driver issued a community resolution for making off without payment. The passenger was also arrested by PC Cochrane from Chipping Norton Neighbourhood Team for failing to appear at court. And the second short piece is headed, Car is Seized by Police. A vehicle was seized for having no insurance in a police proactive patrol. Thames Valley Police's Rural Crime Task Force seized the grey car at around 1am on Monday of last week in Minster Lovell. A police spokesman said, The recovery agent joked, You rural crime officers seize more cars than roads policing. Officers all across Thames Valley have been conducting proactive patrols. On Friday afternoon, officers in an unmarked police car from the Rural Crime Task Force caught a driver using their phone near Steventon, South Oxfordshire. This next piece is headed, Pub Seeks New Tenants Three Months After It Reopened. And the picture at the top is of the Hollybush on Corn Street in Whitney. A pub is looking for new tenants just three months after it reopened under new owners. The Hollybush on Corn Street in Whitney reopened with a launch party at the end of April, with co-owners Richard Turner and Dan Wollaston saying, Business is buzzing. Mr Wollaston, who is originally from Wakefield in West Yorkshire, spent all his working life in hospitality around Whitney, starting as a chef at the Fleece on Church Green, aged 15. Mr Turner is former owner of the Corncroft Guest House in Corn Street and runs the Maybush at Newbridge. The response from local people has been really, really good, as lots and lots of people know us, said Mr Wollaston. Now, three months later, Green King is advertising for new tenants for the popular modern dining pub. Its advertisement states, The pub has traditionally been popular with customers looking for high-quality food, premium drinks and great service. It adds, the pub is now ready for a new operator and this is your chance to build up, build upon solid foundations and put your own spin on the pub. The kitchen at the pub is now closed. However, it is still open for drinks until a new landlord is found. The Hollybush has held two AA rosettes for culinary experience in the past. Green King has been contacted for a comment but failed to respond. The following local people were dealt with at the Magistrates' Court Scales of Justice. 
Daniel Swan, 32, of Cote, near Bampton, admitted driving an Audi A6 on Burford Road, Whitney, while disqualified from driving and without insurance. He received a community order with 100 hours of unpaid work, up to 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days and an 18-month road ban. He must also pay £199 in costs and surcharge. Cameron Muhid, 22, of Rush Avenue, Farringdon, admitted possession of a 24.8 grams of cannabis in Farringdon last July. He was found £80 and ordered to pay £117 in costs and surcharge. Nolan Moulder, 48, of Burford Road, Chipping Norton, admitted using threatening behaviour in Chipping Norton on January the 19th. He was fined £426, with the court recording noting that minors were present during the incident and that Moulder went to get a baseball bat, although it was not brandished. He had no previous convictions. The court record noted he was ordered to pay £255 in costs and surcharge. Jack Leakey, 36, of Wayne Rush View, Whitney, pleaded guilty to assault by beating. He received a community order with up to 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days and was fined £200. He must pay £199 in costs and surcharge. Ryan Pridi, 42, of Butchers Court, Whitney, pleaded guilty to driving a VW transporter on Woodstock Road, Yarnton, in February, whilst over the limit for cocaine and benzoligon, he was fined £333 banned from driving for a year and was ordered to pay £85 in costs and £133 victim surcharge. Peter Morgan, 63, of Langford near Lechlade, admitted two courts, two counts of threatening behaviour in Longford last October. He was fined £262 given a restraining order and must pay £605 in costs and surcharge. And another couple of stories here. Uh, The first one is entitled Man Jailed for Cotswold Pub Punch Killing. A Londoner who killed a fellow Cotswold pubgoer with a single punch to the head and ruined the lives of his victim's family has been jailed. Liam McCain, 54, punched 51-year-old Colin Leslie once in the head outside Kingsbridge Inn, Boughton on the Water, on Saturday, August 28, 2021. The men were involved in a disagreement inside the pub. McCain approached Mr. Leslie outside and punched him. The victim fell and hit his head. He was taken to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford with head injuries and died eight days later on September the 5th. McCain, from Uxbridge, pleaded guilty on the first day of his trial in June to a single count of manslaughter. At Bristol Crown Court on Friday, McCain was jailed for three years and nine months. And the second one is a letter from the letters pages 
from His Honour Julian Hall, West Oxfordshire resident, who is using a personal experience to warn about the danger of scams. And the letter is titled, Beware of Scams. And His Honour writes, Your readers might have thought that someone who had spent 20 years at the criminal bar and a further 20 on the bench trying such cases would be more than usually alert to the dangers of frauds, particularly online. Not so, I confess. I received an email from a good friend asking me to send Apple gift cards to a sick relative for a promised imminent birthday gift. To cut a long story short, I did. What I later learned was that my friend's email account had been hacked and all of this was false. When I reread my friend's messages later, it was clear that they were not in his usual style and factually improbable. I should have been on my guard, but I was distracted by the apparent need for haste. That is part of the scammer's technique. My advice, born of an expensive mistake, is stop, think and count at least 10 before acting on any similar request. And now we come to Editor's Choice, and I'm turning again this week to uh, Julianne Godson's book, On This Day in Oxfordshire. And on the 17th of August, on this day in 1694, recorded tinkery Anthony Wood, about one or two in the morning, the Magdalen Hall plate was stolen. The thieves broke open Magdalen College Gate, leading to the grove, and then by force wrenched open a bar out of the window of the buttery. Thus began a lamentable tradition that continues to this day. In February 2013, the Dean was forced to act after decanters, crystal punch bowls, side plates and expensive silverware disappeared during dinner. A letter sent to the junior common room said, Over the past few months, we've invited all first-year undergraduates to dine in the new room as our guests. At each dinner, several decanters, stoppers and other items of college property have been removed without permission. Often, as tonight, it has been obvious what has been happening. But we, have we turned a blind eye on the assumption that these items would be returned quickly and safely? JCR President Millie Ross issued an appeal for the items to be returned, saying that such an activity is fine as a harmless prank but might jeopardise student inclusion in such dinners in future. However, first-year English student Frank Lawton responded, Other than the small matter of it technically being theft, it seems to be a great and noble tradition. And so we move to our notice board. And firstly, on the notice board, we have to sadly report deaths from the Whitney Gazette. First one is Betty Beachy, who died on the 6th of August at the JRH, aged 90 years, and she came from Standlake. Secondly, John Draper, who was 88, uh, came from Ducklington, and his funeral will be on the 21st of August. David Goff uh, died at home with his family on the 7th of August, aged 78 years, and he came from North Lee. Joan Pamela Messer, passed away peacefully at home on the 10th of August at an amazing age of 101, and she came from Alverscott. Margaret Morris of Carterton passed away peacefully on the 5th of August, aged 85 years. And lastly, Annette Wiblin 
uh, died on the 6th of August, aged 79 years, and she came from Whitney. And our sincere condolences are expressed to all friends and family of the deceased. Now, just to reiterate a notice that's been given on several weeks previously, how safe is your electric blanket? And you're invited to have your electric blankets checked on Thursday the 21st of September at Glime Hall, Albion Street, Chipping Norton, or on Thursday the 5th of October at the WODC Wood Green offices in Whitney. To book your appointment for to have your blanket checked, please ring 01865 895 999 and select option 3. That's 01865 895 999 and select option 3. And can I just remind everyone that the Whitney Torch Fellowship for the Visually Impaired meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2 o'clock in the Welcome Church, High Street. New members are very welcome. And uh, the contact number there is 01993-891-639. And so, on to our next item, which is about a guest, being ter- a guest house being turned into a hotel and is to be read by Debbie. The headline is Guest House to be Refined Boutique Hotel. A guest house is to be transformed into a refined boutique hotel. Burford Lodge Hotel, a nine-room guest house near the historic West Oxfordshire town, has been bought by local businessman Rob Grant-Smith, who already owns a 300-year-old Broadlands Hotel in Borton-on-the-Water. His plans for the property include adding an intimate speakeasy bar complete with baby grand piano and the creation of an upscale Italian bistro. Mr. Grant Smith said, When I saw the opportunity to take a lease on the Burford Lodge Hotel, I knew it was too good an opportunity to pass up. As we expand our presence in this vibrant area, we are fully aware of the tremendous potential of this renowned tourist village. By providing an alternative option, we aim to assist guests who may be unable to secure a reservation at Broadlands Hotel, ensuring that they can experience the same exceptional standards at our new establishment. And now a uh, rather unfortunate announcement from a a well-known local uh, travel company, Angela's Travel. Uh, A brief notice uh, just says, Angela's Travel has ceased trading. We are proud to have served the people of West Oxfordshire over the last 40 years. Thank you all for your custom and the many laughs we shared. And I'm sure the company will be much missed by all those who've used their services over the last few decades. This article says, County criticised for solar snub at New Park and Ride. There has been criticism of the County Council for not including solar panels in plans for a huge new car park and ride. Councillor John Broad, who sits on the Sherwell District Council, has called out Oxfordshire County Council for allowing the latest massive 850-space park and ride to be constructed at Ancient with no solar canopy. In response, 
Duncan Enright, Cabinet Member for Travel and Development Strategy at Oxford County Council, said the ancient park and ride project has been designed with provisions for the future installation of solar panels. While the current planning permission and funding allocated to the park and ride do not cover the installation of solar panels, we are making sure that it is constructed in a way that will ease such installations in the future. As a council, we remain steadfast in our commitment to promoting green energy initiatives, including efforts to ensure that the park and ride, along with its electric vehicle charging points, can be powered by sustainable energy. The Oxfordshire branch of the countryside charity, CPRE, said that it believes all of the county's solar energy needs could be met through rooftop renewables and infrastructure investment should be aligned to this. However, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Climate Change and Environment, Pete Sudbury, said it is a myth that we can tackle climate change with rooftop solar adding that even putting 4 kilowatt of solar on every roof would provide less than a third of our 2050 solar requirement outlined in our countrywide strategy written by Oxford's Environmental Change Institute and less than half of what we need by 2035. He further stated that the cost of rooftop solar are three times those of utility-scale developments, which is great value for households, householders and businesses, but not for strategic energy resources. Responding to the cost claim, Mr Broad said, Yes, it is more expensive if you have to retrofit to giant warehouses, but there are more giant buildings coming and the local plan review must insist on polar PV on all new developments, as to do so at the building stage is relatively cheap. The same goes for domestic roofs, where retrofit is quite expensive, but to design and build them in is relatively cheap. An example to look at is the Pro Drive building in Banbury. This was built with no solar PV, which is appalling. Pro Drive moved in and then had to spend a considerable amount of money to retrofit the panels, working with the low carbon hub. The next bit of the campaign is, of course, to add battery storage so that the energy generated can be used by the occupiers in the evenings when it is dark. And here we have another angle on the solar panel debate. And this article is titled, in quotes, Put solar panels on roofs, not in fields, says Charity. And the article is as follows. The Oxfordshire branch of a national countryside charity has said industrialising, quote, the county's countryside with solar panels that could be sited on rooftops is, as they describe it, madness. Helen Marshall, director of the countryside charity CPRE Oxfordshire, has argued for all of the county's solar energy needs to be met through rooftop renewables and infrastructure investment. Ms Marshall said that she hopes the emerging Oxfordshire Local Area Energy Plan, being led by Oxfordshire County Council, 
will set out a strategic spatial approach to renewable energy infrastructure. She said, the approach should be based on full engagement with local communities rather than the speculative developer-led applications we have at the moment. Industrialising our countryside with solar panels that could be sited elsewhere is madness. We need that countryside for all the other benefits that it delivers, such as food, nature, health and climate mitigation. Responding to claims that the county's energy needs could be met by rooftop renewables, Pete Sudbury, Cabinet Member for Climate Change Delivery and Environment at Oxfordshire County Council, said... It is shocking that new houses and industrial facilities are not automatically built with solar on their roofs as a result of a failed planning system rigged for short-term developer profit rather than critical planetary health. He went on, unchecked climate change will utterly destroy Oxfordshire's countryside, as it is doing around the world, and it's time our government and planning system caught up. The breakdown of our climate system is accelerating at a terrifying pace and it is a myth that we can tackle it with rooftop solar. Even putting four kilowatts of solar on every roof would provide less than one third of our 2050 solar requirement outlined in our county-wide strategy written by Oxford's Environmental Change Institute and less than half of what we need by 2035. The costs of rooftop solar are also three times those of utility-scale developments, which is great value for householders and businesses, but not for strategic energy resources. Bicester Town Councillor John Broad also believes that solar panels should be installed on rooftops around the county. He said, Use land twice rather than once. Solar farms take land we need for food. Solar on buildings and car parks means when it is dark, they are still usable. When the sun shines, the buildings and car parks can generate energy. Cambridgeshire is installing solar canopies on their park and ride sites, and the French have a requirement for all car parks over 80 spaces to have solar canopies installed. Why are developers not fitting their warehouses with solar panels at this time of renewable energy requirements. So the headline of this article is £840,000 bill to make four redundancies. The County Council spent £840,000 on four staff members who were made redundant in the last financial year, the Whitney Gazette has learnt. Figures from the Department for Leveling Up and Communities revealed Oxfordshire County Council paid £1,527,000 to make 36 staff members redundant in the year to March. Included in this large pay package were four council staff members who were paid almost £840,000 in total. Conservative County Councillor Liam Walker, who represents Hamborough and Minster Lovell, and colleague David Bartholomew from South Oxfordshire, argued the figure raised serious questions about the council's, quote, management of personnel, and said answers were desperately needed as to why so many senior officers were leaving and getting significant payouts. 
A county council spokesman has emphasised that it employs a wide range of professionals across many sectors and provides 80% of local government services in Oxfordshire. He said, The council always seeks best value, avoids redundancy wherever possible and redeploys employees if appropriate. (coughs) Mr Bartholomew said, The average council taxpayer will be amazed that their council tax is going to fund payments in excess of £800,000 and will question why councillors approved this. He said the brutal truth was that the payments were determined by, quote, process and law, which is where some reform was required. The councillor added, The whole question of whether the councillors should have approved this is a farce as we are presented with a fait accompli saying this is the situation. Mr Walker said taxpayers in Oxfordshire would be shocked to hear that such a vast amount was being spent on clearing out staff and said this significant share of money could have been utilised for fixing 16,000 potholes and helping fund adult social care. Mr Bartholomew said that when new schemes were kicked off and highly paid individuals brought in, greater consideration should be given to what happens if these projects don't materialise. The Local Government Association said, unlike the civil service, councils have seen their workforce shrink while facing increasing demand for services and called for a rethink of government funding to combat severe budget pressures. The council made a total of 69 redundancies the year before, at a cost of £1,276,000. It spent £262,000 more than in the year to 2020, when its bill for redundancies was £1,265,000. A county council spokesman said there are defined rules around the calculation of redundancy payments. These are linked primarily to length of service and salary. The council will not discuss individual cases or disclose the identities of the individuals involved. The council seeks to avoid redundancy and instead to redeploy staff whenever possible. Uh, And this story is headed, Palace Offering Afternoon Tea with a View. Blenheim Palace is offering guests a unique afternoon tea dining experience. Those looking for a special summer dining experience have been encouraged to try out Blenheim Palace's Clementines on the Lawn restaurant. The restaurant serves afternoon tea every day and Sunday roasts, and the temporary pop-up marquee restaurant is the only location in which guests can dine while overlooking the panoramic views of the South Lawn. The experience is available until August 26th, and the citrus name of the restaurant pays homage to the Orangery, which is undergoing a vital £2 million restoration, as well as Clementine Churchill, who was the wife of Sir Winston Churchill. Those planning on travelling to the palace via public transport, bicycle or a fully electric car will receive a 30% discount off the annual pass or the day ticket. The experience runs until the end of this month, and more information can be found on Blenheim Palace's website.
Two, <clears throat> two lions, Rana and Kala, take the first steps into their new lion house. Cotswold Wildlife Park's lion, Rana and Kana, made comforting calls to one another as they explored a brand new home. Professor of Wildlife Conservation at the University of Oxford, Amy Dickman, officially cut the ribbon at the brand new lion house on August the 3rd, which was a year in the making. The park's Asiatic lions, Rana and Kana, are now enjoying their indoor facility, which includes a large on-show communal space, which is larger than the whole of the previous lion house, which was built in 1996, originally as a tiger house. There are two private dens as well as an outside holding area. Mammal keeper James Walsh, whose brainchild it was, said, Lions are incredibly social, but they also like their own personal space for ta- from time to time. Rana and Kana are no different, and this whole facility has been designed to give the lions the opportunity to have multiple options and increase flexibility. We have seen lots of positive behaviour between the pair over the last few weeks as they have explored all of the new areas together and all of its new features. The two lions started to explore straight away, scent marking, rolling and scratching around all parts of the building. He said they were very reliant on following each other into new parts of the building with comforting calls to one another from time to time. This was lovely to see and shows the social nature of these animals. During the introductory process into our new facility, Rana and Kana have shown lots of affiliative behaviours. We have seen loads of head rubbing and grooming, as well as lots of rolling and playing. Lions are very tactile animals and display their bond this way by sharing their scent. This is something Rana and Kana have displayed in all of their new areas. They have been a reassuring and comforting presence to each other when investigating these new areas. Both have settled in extremely well and are clearly already very comfortable. He added, This new facility reflects everything that we have learnt about keeping lions at the park, and I couldn't be more pleased about how well the lions have taken to it. The Lion House was the park's first major new construction since the Giraffe House was built in 2010 to mark Cotswold Wildlife Park's 40th anniversary. It is hoped it will become a focal point to where's awareness of the plight of the animals in the wild. And there is a picture of three people, a lady cutting the pink ribbon to the lion house, which is, looks very nice, but I can't see any lions there. So no doubt they are safely tucked away. And now we have a lovely story um, about a mum and her kids who have been given a new garden. And this is the story. It's entitled DIY SOS Style Effort for Mum and Disabled Kids. And the story reads, A project to transform an overgrown and inaccessible garden into a peaceful and safe sanctuary for a single parent and her three children who all have disabilities is complete. 
Local businesses worked together on the garden SOS DIY style makeover in Ainsham to help create a space where the children can burn off some excess energy and mum, Zoe Mosley, can relax. Zoe's daughter Ava, 11, has been diagnosed with autism and struggles with a rare eye condition that could lead to blindness. Isabella, 9, diagnosed with autism and ADHD, relies on her mother for social, emotional and physical support. The garden provides a safe space for them to wind down. Finley, age 6, suffers from Dye-George syndrome and requires 24-7 care due to feeding, speech, hearing, heart and bone issues. He also has autism and global development delay and uses a wheelchair for most of his waking hours. Zoe could not allow Finley to explore the garden due to safety concerns and potential injury risks. But now Oxfordshire businesses and contractors have transformed the plot, creating a low-maintenance sensory garden with decking, bark chips and lots of sensory plants. Thanks to the team's vision and creativity, it is now a wheelchair-accessible space that the children can explore while enjoying being outside and close to nature. Build-based Oxford provided all the materials for free, while M&M Skip Hire handled the garden waste disposal. Hughes Gray, Electric Base, Cotswold Botanic, Stephen J. Wiley Electrical and Tony Bradley Building Services also helped complete the overhaul. Charlbury Garden Centre donated wooden Charles Taylor furniture. Cinder from Hughes Gray Build Base and James Oakey, who masterminded the garden makeover, said, The continued generosity of the community means the world to not just us, but to the Mosley family. This magical new back garden space provides a sanctuary of care and a place where Zoe and the children can create a million memories, all of which would not be possible without the help of so many wonderful businesses. Amy Stubbs, Project and Development Manager at British Garden Centres, which owns Charlbury Garden Centre, added, We were delighted to help with the garden makeover for the Mosley family. The businesses have worked well together to combine so many different elements in the garden that will relax and soothe the family. That garden will not only help Zoe and her children, but promote nature and nurture for well-being, valuing the experience as a form of care. And there's a, a picture of all the participants and the builders and contractors uh, in the garden with a very happy family. Well, that's all we have time for this week. But please stay tuned for the TNF radio listings for the coming week and also the audio-described TV programmes. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. In any post box, it doesn't have to be taken to a post office. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us or to comment about the content of WTN editions so that we may improve our service to you, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and then we will phone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and the Julianne Godson for the items we've used this evening. Thanks to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, 
and to our copiers, who will be uh, Henry Spielberg and myself. The uh, admin team who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks that have been returned and keeping our records have been Doreen Turner and Lynn Harding. And so, finally, our four readers were Debbie Diacon, Andrew Law, Henry Spielberg and Adam Lethbridge. And I know that everyone would like to say goodbye. And so, until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, August 19th. And in the second of three parts of the series Hardy's Women, the drama takes a look at the story of Tess of the D'Urbervilles from the point of view of Tess herself. You can hear it on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. The Englishman Abroad is a sports drama recalling the infamous 1932 Bodyline Ashes tour, which resulted in a diplomatic furore. Radio 4 Extra at 5pm on Saturday. Problems continues and can be heard every evening on Radio 3 all week. Saturday's performance starts at 7pm. And in the series Archive on 4, Scoop tells the social history of ice cream in the UK over the past century. 8pm, Radio 4. Sunday, August 20th, and the castaway on Desert Island Discs Revisited, in an edition from 2015, is Stephen Fry. Radio 4 Extra at 10am or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In the series The Reunion, the programme looks back at the Lockerbie bombing in 1988, UK's most deadly terrorist attack, bringing together some of the families and emergency workers caught up in the disaster. It's on Radio 4 at 11.15. In the first of four programmes called Four Sides of Seamus Heaney, which focus on different aspects of Heaney's work and life, this episode presents him as a poet of place, specifically of Blachie in Derry, where Heaney spent his childhood. Radio 4, 4.30pm on Sunday afternoon. Another poet, Henry Normal, talks about the real meaning of home and examines how it's more than just a place for us in Henry Normal, a normal home, Radio 4 at 7.15. While in the series Life Changing, Box Under the Bed, Joe thought he knew his dad until he found a cache of documents, letters and photos that revealed new and shocking information which didn't match the life story Joe had been told all his life. Dr Sean, Dr. Sean Williams hears how Joe set out to find the truth. Radio 4, Sunday evening, 11pm. On to programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, all week, Monday to Friday. In Book of the Week, What We Fear Most Reflections on a Life in Forensic Psychiatry by Dr Ben Cave. Now this is about his career spent working with patients and the most severe mental health disorders. It's on 9.45 every morning on Radio 4. Composer of the Week is Franz Litzt on Radio 3 at 12 noon every day all week. Hoax is a new series investigating fascinating cases of scientific skullduggery. That can be heard every day on Radio 4 at 1.45 in the afternoon. As part of a series, the essay, Jazz Among the British, reflects on the changing perceptions and appreciation of jazz in Britain. It's on Radio 3, 10.45 each night, all week. And Book of Bedtime, 
Memory Wall by Anthony Doerr. An ageing woman seeks to arrest her memory loss by signing up for a radical operation. But her memories are not just of interest to her. Radio 4, 10.45, each night, all week. On to programmes then that you can listen to through the rest of the week, each day. Monday, August 21st. An analysis, what are companies for? Should companies be organisations designed to generate profits for the benefit of shareholders, or do they have a bigger role to play in society? You can hear the discussion. It's called Analysis. What are companies for? Radio 4, 11.30 in the morning. The Dark Horse is a dramatisation of Rumor Godden's classic novel about a great racehorse, the nuns from the Sisters of Poverty and a miracle, all based on true events. Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock. A new nine-part series called History's Secret Heroes begins with Virginia Hall's Great Escape. Helena Bonham Carter recounts the extraordinary stories of some of the unsung heroes from the Second World War, starting with how US spy Virginia Hall masterminded an astonishing prison break, leading to her to become the Gestapo's most wanted target. Radio 4, the place for this, History's Secret Heroes, 4pm. In the series Beyond Belief, the Reverend Hilary Bond of Wareham, Dorset, talks about why she believes her faith leads her to take direct action as part of a climate change protest. Radio 4, 4.30pm. Tuesday, August 22nd, and two drama serials that continue for the rest of the week, right through to Friday. The first is The Price of Silence, a Cold War nuclear thriller by novelist Stephen Barclay and starring Ian Hendry. Radio 4 Extra... 11.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the afternoon. All week, rest of this week, till Friday. Also starting on Tuesday, a dramatisation of A Room with a View, E.M. Forster's romantic novel set in Florence with a cast that includes Sheila Hancock. Radio 4 Extra, 3 o'clock every afternoon for the rest of the week till Friday. Back to Tuesday, August 22nd, and a new series called The Archbishop Interviews. Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, talks to guests about their inner lives, what they believe and how their shapes values. And in this episode, he meets John Cleese. Radio 4, 11am. Also on Tuesday, word of mouth, Michael Rosen talks about the Shakespeare quotes we use every day, without even realising, and looks at why so many of the bard's sayings have slipped into our 21st century chat. Word of mouth, Radio 4, 4 4pm. As it's a Tuesday, Peter White presents In Touch with news and features for people who are blind or partially sighted. Radio 4, 8.40 in the evening. Wednesday, August 23rd. Reflections this week. The Conservative politician Norman Fowler looks back at his career, during which he served in both Margaret Thatcher and John Major's ministries and held the office of Lord Speaker. Reflections, Radio 4, 9am on Wednesday. Norman Bows Out is a poignant drama starring Jim Broadbent in which he plays a veteran comedian and panto star most famous for his ventriloquist act. When Norman collapses on stage during his final tour, his theatrical landlady Betty decides to let him stay with her. You can hear it on Radio 4 at 2.15 on Wednesday afternoon. The Boy in the Peking Hotel is the story of a British family that emigrated to China to be part of Mao's Cultural Revolution – only to be imprisoned for two years with no contact with the outside world. The programme tells the story of the family's son Kim, eight years old when they arrived in China, and how his rich imagination sustained him through years of isolation. Radio 4, 4 o'clock in the afternoon.
Lastly, for Wednesday, just one thing with Michael Mosley. Michael looks at the health benefits of drinking a small glass of red wine as opposed to other alcoholic beverages. Radio 4, 8.45pm. Thursday, August 24th, in the series The Patch, Polly Weston visits Farnborough Airport in this episode in Hampshire, the only UK airport dedicated to private jets and reputedly the birthplace of British aviation. Radio 4, Thursday morning, 9 o'clock. Drama on Thursday, A Dog in the Fight by Hugh Costello. When a Russian spy drone strays off the Atlantic coast and crashes, a notionally neutral Irish government struggles to find a discreet way to let NATO analysts have first dibs at examining the device without revealing the full extent of its collaboration with NATO. Soon, Ireland's neutrality is revealed to be a fond delusion. Radio 4, 2.15 for a dog in the fight. Open country this week is Highlands with Horses, in which Marianne Okocha joins a group of walkers, riders and horses in the Scottish Highlands as they follow St Columbia's Way, a pilgrim route from St Andrews to Iona. Radio 4 for open country, 3 o'clock. And Walt Disney, A Life in Films, continues this week with the story of the making of Mary Poppins. The programme reveals the lengths Disney went to secure the rights and the highly antagonistic relationship he had with P.L. Travers, the author of the original book upon which his popular film is based. Walt Disney, A Life in Films, continues on Radio 4 at 4pm on Thursday. Lastly, Friday, August 25th, heading into a long bank holiday weekend. Great Wives, this week's programme, Rulers and Regents, recalls the royal women who came forward out of the shadows. What does it take for a royal wife to step up and dare to wield power? Radio 4, 2.45 on Friday afternoon. This week's offering in the series Short Works is Mad Woman's Milk by Louise Kennedy. On the northwest coast of Ireland, a gardener is faced with hostility and scorn from a new client until a moment of shattering vulnerability brings understanding. Mad Woman's Milk by Louise Kennedy, Radio 4, 3.45, Friday afternoon. In Jim, We Love You Because, to mark the upcoming centenary of the birth of Texan-born country star Jim Reeves, this programme explores his enduring pull among Nigerians. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 8pm on Friday. Well, in the last of the series, What's Funny About explores the sitcom The Good Life with the help of Felicity Kendall, who shares anecdotes about her co-stars, Richard Bryars, Paul Ellington and Penelope Keith. Radio 4, Friday night, 1130 that's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello, this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News with our selection of audio described TV programmes starting Saturday the 19th of August to Friday the 25th of August 2023. The usual BBC schedules will be affected this week by coverage of the Athletics World Championships from Budapest, which start this weekend. However, I hope you can find something from my selection that might interest you. We start with Saturday the 19th of August. Nick Nen and Dougie Vipond make wild duck with forage greens. In The Great Food Guys, at 11.30am on BBC One. In the afternoon film on ITV One, at 4.30pm, in The Spy Adventure, The World Is Not Enough, 
Bond becomes bodyguard to the daughter of oil magnate Sir Robert King. Queen Victoria is the monarch featured in this week's episode of the Queens That Change the World, on Channel Four at six twenty-five p.m. The actress Julie Walters travels along the northeast coast between Newcastle and Edinburgh in coastal railways with Julie Walters on Channel Four at seven fifteen p.m. Next, we have a visit to the world's oldest rodeo and stock show in Fort Worth, Texas. In Matt Baker's travels in the country, USA, at eight fifteen, also on Channel Four. Donna grapples with her guilt, and Jan's loved ones keep a secret from her. In Casualty, at eight twenty-five p.m. on BBC One. The final two episodes of the historical drama Becoming Elizabeth are on Channel Four tonight at nine fifteen and ten twenty-five. Moving on to Sunday, the twentieth of August. Although not audio described, there'll probably be some exciting commentary from Australia if you want to cheer on the England team. In the women's World Cup final today, coverage starts at ten a.m. on BBC One, and ten fifteen on ITV One. Kickoff at eleven a.m. The early evening film, delayed from the ninth of July at five past six on BBC Two, is the comedy drama sequel, The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Irrepressible owner Sunny is worried that one of the new arrivals is an undercover hotel inspector. In the final episode of this documentary series, Levison Wood visits Greenland in search of one of the world's most elusive populations of polar bears. Levison Wood walking with polar bears is on Channel Four at seven p.m. The estate is thrown into a frenzy of preparation, as the king and queen are due to visit. The film of the period drama Downton Abbey is on ITV One at seven thirty-five p.m. Monica Gilletti and Rob Rinder travel to an Arctic resort in the Lofoten Islands of the northwest coast of Norway. Where they encounter snowy paths and huge waves on fishing boats, amazing hotels. Life beyond the lobby is on BBC Two at eight p.m. Chickens come home to roost in the final episode of the war drama World on Fire at nine p.m. on BBC One. Now for those programs which are on at the same time throughout the week. Dom digs in is at ten thirty a.m. Homes under the hammer is at eleven fifteen. Bargain hunt is at twelve fifteen. Animal park is at one forty five. Rick Stein's Cornwall is at two thirty. And escape to the perfect town is at three p.m. All these programs are on BBC One Monday to Friday.
on BBC Four, Great American Railway Journeys is at seven p.m. on Monday, and at seven thirty p.m. on Tuesday, and Great Coastal Railway Journeys at seven p.m. Wednesday and Thursday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at six p.m. and seven p.m. Monday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday, the twenty-first of August. King's College, Cambridge, be with University College London for a place in the second round of University Challenge at eight thirty p.m. on BBC Two. Several choices at nine tonight. Award-winning actor Tommy Jessup embarks on a mission to create his own movie. Challenging Hollywood's perceptions of superheroes and Down syndrome, Tommy Jessup goes to Hollywood. Is on BBC One at nine p.m. A new four-part period drama starts tonight. Franny Langton's master and lover have been murdered. The year is eighteen twenty-six, and in the dead of night, the former slave is hauled out of bed by the police. She is covered in blood and protests her innocence, but what's the truth? The Confessions of Franny Langton is on ITV One at nine p.m. and continues nightly until Thursday. Next, we have a new six-part documentary series looking at day-to-day -day life at RAF Lossiemouth. The RAF's busiest operational airbase, Top Guns Inside the RAF, is on Channel Four at nine p.m. This is followed by another documentary, following Dmitry Muratov, the editor of Russia's only independent newspaper, as he struggles to maintain freedom of the press in the face of violent reprisals. The price of truth is on Channel Four at ten p.m. On to Tuesday, the twenty-second of August. Paul continues to explore Kent, taking the miniature steam train along the coast to the RSPB reserve at Dungeness. Paul O'Grady's Great British Escape is on ITV One at eight p.m. It's the quarterfinal, and the teams must create twenty-four savoury puff pastries in tonight's Bake Off: The Professionals on Channel Four at eight p.m. More murder, mayhem, and mystery in the English countryside when wealthy landowner Gregory Lancaster's body goes missing on the night of his death. A sinister web of secrets and lies is exposed in the village of Little Malton. Midsummer Murders is at eight p.m. on ITV Three. It's the last week of heats, and five celebrities compete to stay in the contest in Celebrity MasterChef at nine p.m. on BBC One. Tempers begin to flare. As the planners strive to improve their standing, and pull off a millionaire's garden party for Laura and Jodie, in Ultimate Wedding Planner, 
on BBC Two at 9pm. Now for Wednesday, the 23rd of August. Can a 1920s art and crafts inspired house in Surrey with some dubious designs be turned back into an elegant family home? Find out in George Clark's Old House, New Home at 8pm on Channel 4. Professor Mary Bird looked at ancient Rome anew as the world's first high-rise city where most of the inhabitants would hang out on the street to drink, have sex and bathe. If you missed it the first time round, here's another chance to catch up with Meet the Romans with Mary Bid on BBC4 at 8pm. The four remaining celebrities battle for a place in the quarter-final in tonight's Celebrity Masterchef at 9pm on BBC One. The cameras follow Jane Percy, the Duchess of Northumberland, in this new documentary series as she plans to build a whimsical village at Alnwick Castle with fairy grottos and upside-down houses. Her aim is to make it so magical that children will willingly put away their mobiles. The Duchess and Her Magical Kingdom is on more 4 at 9pm. Thursday the 24th of August. The chef looks at why street food is booming while other parts of the hospitality industry struggle in tonight's episode of The Hidden World of Hospitality with Tom Kerridge at 8pm on BBC Two. Rachel Townsend asks why so many of us are having trouble sleeping in the documentary Sleep Well, Live Better, Britain's Sleep Problem at 8.30pm on ITV3. The BAFTA winning documentary series Ambulance returns tonight, this time following the work of ambulance crews across the northwest of England. Ambulance is on BBC One at 9pm. Following the London Bridge attack in November 2019, the three civilians who intervened reveal how their personal histories suddenly shifted the way in which the media framed their courageous actions. London Bridge Facing Terror is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Finally, we come to Friday the 25th of August. My next choice is not audio described, but if you used to listen to Ken Bruce on Radio 2, you might be interested in the TV version of his famous mid-morning radio quiz, in which players answer questions about popular music from the 1950s to the present day. Popmaster TV is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Tonight, three celebrities need to pull out all the stops to secure their part in the semi-finals. But who will be the two best contestants? Find out in Celebrity Masterchef 
on BBC One at 9pm. The history of the street gangs in Birmingham continues with a profile of petty thief Billy Kimber, whose gang came to dominate illegal rackets around the growing sport of horse racing. The Real Peaky Blinders is at 9pm on BBC Two. A dinner party sees Diane threaten to unspool appearances for her husband, while Kath makes a second attempt at getting into his filing cabinet. The sitcom The Power of Parker is on BBC One at 9.30pm. How about some music from the 70s to end the week? On BBC Four, tonight you can listen to a concert recorded in 1976 by the singing duo The Carpenters at 10pm. This is followed by footage of Californian country rockers, The Eagles, at 10.50pm. TNF Soundings.